Hi there, my name is Adam Waters, and I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Bible Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. I'm just so glad that you made the decision to take us along with you this week on life's journey. Here at Grace Bible Church, we are a family of faith who seeks forgiveness, healing, and hope in Jesus Christ. Now, we might all come from different backgrounds, but each of us recognize that the tremendous needs in our lives point us to one place, to God, for His answers, His provision, and mostly, for His grace. I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. starting a new series. We just got off of our long love series that lasted, I think, uh, 16 or 18 weeks. It was actually pretty long. Today, we're in a new series called The Wilderness. What I mean by wilderness is we've all been in these situations where we've gone through seasons in our lives where we feel like we're just out there. We're just lost. We're far from civilization. We're far from everything that we have known to be true and safe. Um, There certainly have been wilderness experiences in my own life. I look back and some of the more obvious ones are when I was uh, in drug addiction or when I was serving time. But lately, I feel like I'm just coming out of one right now. I feel like this Christmas time was a period where we're supposed to be celebrating the birth of the Savior and we holly and jolly and pine-smelling in the house and Christmas presents wrapped around the tree and family, and I just felt so far from God. I just felt just so distant. I was going through the motions. I knew what I needed to do. Oftentimes, as a pastor, you sort of just default into what your skills are, and you just live out of those skills. And Many of you know what I'm talking about. It's like that in life, too. But my heart just wasn't there. And there was a moment when I cried out to God and I just said, why? There's got to be something more than this. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever been in a season in your life where it's, you just thought, I'm doing everything I think that I'm supposed to do, but why do I feel so bad? Sometimes we look at things in our life and we say, well, maybe it's depression or it's anxiety or, or maybe if I can control this situation over here, I'll get my equilibrium back. You know, I call it the ick. It's that sort of feeling that we carry around in life when things are just not right. And I was there. Maybe you're in one of those places right now too. Maybe you've been in the past. Or maybe you're not like me at all and your life has been perfect. But I can assure you that whether or not you've recognized those periods of wilderness, those periods of spiritual distance from God, they will come. They're inevitable because we shall see and you know we are broken people living in a broken world. But just as assuredly as I can tell you that they will come, I can also tell you that God will be there with you no matter what it may feel like. Because wilderness experiences can have redemptive value in the lives of God's children. You see, God uses our wilderness experiences to prepare us. And he does this, as we'll see today, through isolation, revelation, and consecration. So let's look at 
Exodus 3, this is where we're starting. This is the very first of our wilderness experiences that we're going to study over the next six or seven weeks. It is the story and calling of Moses. Now, maybe you know who Moses is. Maybe, like me, you watched Prince of Egypt this week. I did my research for today's message and watched that. No, literally, I did. I rented it. I watched it. I said, I've never seen it. I want to see what this cartoon is all about. And I thought, well, it'd be really cool to watch and see where things match up and where things don't, you know. And of course, they take artistic license. But for many of us, we might only get our understanding of who Moses is from things like DreamWorks cartoons. But as we read through the story, I want you to be cautious I don't want you to see in your mind a cartoon because what actually happened is far more amazing than what any cartoon could ever portray. Moses was a child who was destined to be killed. Pharaoh had made the announcement that every child of the Hebrews would be eliminated because they were growing too strong and too large as a people. So he sent them out to destroy all of the babies that were being born. In fact, he ordered the midwives of the Jewish nation to stop delivering, to set them out, to expose them, to not care for them. Of course, they refused. And Moses' mother took Moses and hid him in a basket and sort of set him sail with God's blessing on the Nile River. Out of God's providence and God's goodness, the basket comes right before the daughter of Pharaoh. She pulls this basket up out of the water, and that's actually what the name Moses means. It means to be drawn out, to be drawn up. So she named him Moses. Interestingly enough, and the cartoon didn't really get this right, but after she drew Moses out of the water, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses' sister and says, or one of Moses' siblings, and says, come take care of this child. And so it turns out that Moses' own Hebrew family take care of him until he's at least weaned. I don't know what age that was. Maybe five. And then he's finally taken into the house of Pharaoh as an adopted child of the Egyptian royal family. So that's the backstory of who Moses is. As we read this passage, there's a few things I want us to see. The first is that God uses our wilderness experiences to get us alone. Let's read verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Well, what did I just say? Isn't he a member of the royal family? To understand how Moses gets here to this point, we have to go back half a chapter to chapter 2, verse 11. So let's take a look at that and see what got Moses to where he is now. Exodus 2, Verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. The Jews were being held in slavery, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Moses, we know Moses is wrong here, because he looks this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. 
And it was, because verse 15 says, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. Now, this might be Moses' adopted father. He seeks to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down. That word sat down can also mean to dwell by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to, to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Ruel, so Jethro and Ruel are the same person, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread, that perfect Middle Eastern hospitality. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. So now we see Moses is dwelling in the land of Midian, a fugitive from justice, and a living a life much different than the life he had enjoyed up until that time. Think about it. Egypt at that time was one of the most sophisticated cultures in the world, perhaps the most powerful in the Middle East of the time, and he was part of the royal family. But now he's no longer in the nation of his birth. He's in exile in Midian. Midian is present-day Sinai Peninsula. So if you look at a map, all northeast Egypt, there's a little triangular piece of land that's called Sinai, and that is where Midian is today. And he's more than an exile, though, isn't he? He's a fugitive from justice. He's running from those who seek his life. The book of Acts tells us that Moses was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian and fled into exile. How far must he have gone? Royal family, all of the pleasures of Egypt, all of the, pri of the privilege of being part of the royal family, 40 years old, now he's a shepherd in exile in Midian. Talk about a midlife crisis. It doesn't get much worse than that. So here we are in chapter 3. Moses has now become a shepherd, which to understand why this is such a big deal, you need to understand a little bit about the Egyptian ideas of shepherds. You see, shepherds were looked down upon by the Egyptian people. In fact, shepherds were looked as unclean. Shepherds were looked as being people who were totally like the lowest of the low. And now this is exactly who Moses has become. And after all the money of Egypt, there weren't even his flocks. There were his father-in-law's. It says that he's on the west side of the desert. All of these little pieces in the scripture here make a difference because as we understand what they're insinuating, what they're suggesting, it grows the picture of what Moses has done, who he is, and how he finds himself in the wilderness. He's on the west side of the wilderness. In Hebrew, that can mean he's on the back side of the wilderness. The point is he's way out there. He's way out out there. He's in the middle of nowhere, but he's near Mount Horeb, which is known as the mountain of God. This is also called Mount Sinai. So later on in the book of Exodus, when Moses brings the Jews out of Egypt, he goes back to Sinai and again meets God in the wilderness. There's a lesson here, I think. The deeper into the wilderness we go, the closer we get to meeting 
God. When we feel that we are lost, when we feel emotionally or spiritually disheveled, and it's as if God is nowhere to be found, and we're really, really out there, the truth is, is that we're just then beginning to be at a place where God can reveal himself to us. We simply need to have faith. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to Moses? I mean, has there ever been a time in your life when you fell from a place of, we'll say, exaltation, a place of favor, a place of success where things were going great in your life to a place of humiliation and said, how the heck did I get here? I talk about it all the time, but in my own life, my how did I get here moment was laying in a jail cell looking at a green flickering fluorescent light that never went off. How did I get here? Things were going so well. I look back on my life. How? Maybe you do too. At what point did I make that decision that became the tipping point where everything just went the wrong way? Everything happened that was wrong. What could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? God, as the sovereign ruler of this universe, And the superintendent of everything that happens allows the circumstances of our life and meets us in the wilderness. Psalm 119, 71 says, It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It means it's good that we struggle through hard things if we understand them with the right heart. Because it points us, in some ways, it shoves us to God. We simply need to have our eyes open to the possibility. The fact is, is that God wants to get us alone sometimes. He wants to isolate us from everything that will prevent us from hearing his voice. Moses in Egypt could not have heard God. It would have been sound, the voice of the Lord would have been drowned out by the riches of of Egypt, the pleasures of Egypt, his success as a member of the royal family. He would not be able to hear. You see, in life, we are so easily distracted by success and family and just the tempo of life sometimes that we can lose focus on what is truly important. But you see, God loves us too much to leave us in that place. God's great love for you will not allow you to remain there without him, (laughs) I want to say the word, annoying you enough to get your attention. We look at these things that happen in our life, our circumstances, and we say, God, what are you doing to me? I didn't do anything. Or why has this always happened to me? Or we see the circumstances that we're a victim of things that have happened to us. Instead of recognizing it's God himself utilizing the situations and circumstances and people and struggles and sins in every aspect of our lives to draw us to him. I mean, think about it. Who's in a more dangerous position? A successful person who cannot hear the voice of God or a desolate one who sees him face to face? I'd rather have nothing, nothing, 
and to be absolutely in love and enamored and in the presence of God than to have all of the riches in the world, have all of the human happiness that this world so often promises to us. God's means of getting us there to the desert, getting us alone, are often painful because it's part of God's preparation of us in our hearts to prepare us for what he has to say once we get there. You see, our self-sufficiency blinds us. I can do this on my own. Our hearts get hardened to the voice of the Lord. We can even plug our ears when we do hear him. God knows that there are times if he were to speak to you in your present condition and the situations in your success, in your relative goodness, in your relative peace, that he'd, he'd never get through. I say it all the time, but it's true. No one ever gets saved on the day they win the lottery. They have no need. I have found in my time in working with people who have been incarcerated or people who are in addiction, it's so easy. It's so easy to move them to a life of faith because they are desperate. Are you desperate? All of the things in your life, etch away, eat away at that desperateness and say, no, I'm okay. I'll worry about it next week. The world is telling us that everything's okay. (laughs) And we so badly want to believe it that we do. But it's not. God is telling us that there's something wrong in our hearts. Imagine this. You're feeling a series of disconcerting and troublesome symptoms. And they don't seem to be related. They're just all over the place. But something is definitely wrong. So you tell your friends, I have this symptom and I have this symptom and I wake up in the morning and this happens. And what ends up happening is you explain symptoms that your friends have too. And they say, oh, that's normal. That's normal life. We all have that. Do I pay no attention to that? You're fine. But you insist. You say, no, there's something going on in my heart. There's a, the, the symptoms are getting louder. So finally you go to the doctor and in the quiet and silence and isolation of an examination room, the doctor comes in and she says, you're gravely ill. All of the symptoms that you're having are there for a reason. Because you have a serious heart condition. You have something going on that's really there. It's not just in your head. And the worst part about it is the vast majority of the population, let me, the whole population suffers from the same thing. But there's good news, there's a cure. Now, if you left that doctor's office and you went back to your friends and said, hey, they said I have a a grave illness of my heart and you do too, what are they going to say? No, you don't. You're fine. This is the world. The world is broken. Its heart is broken. We try to fix it through politics and governments and new amendments and new laws. Or we try to do new social media pushes, marketing campaigns, wars. We do everything we can in order to make this world better. But the truth is, is the world is broken because it's moved and operated by broken people. And so the world tells us that everything is fine when it's really not. God gets us alone in these moments to tell us 
what he needs us to hear. God uses our wilderness experiences and the circumstances to get us there so we can get us alone and speak without distraction. And he prepares our hearts for what he has to say. What he has to say is about himself. Second point for this morning, God uses our wilderness experiences to reveal himself to us in a new way. You see, in our wilderness, in our times of being out there so far from the world and from everything we know alone, but near the mountain of God, God speaks. Are we listening? It's interesting. A little bit aside, this is a little, this is extra. I'll give you this part for free, okay? This is free. In Hebrew, there's a word, min. It's a preposition. It means from, basically. When you take that word and you attach it to a noun, it turns into a locative, which means a location, a sense of a place. Let me give you an example. So, one word in Hebrew, zebeach. Zebeach means sacrifice. Mizbeach, that meh attached to zebeach, is altar, the place of sacrifice. The word, the Hebrew word for wilderness, what we're talking about in this series is midbar. Meh, we see that meh part attached to the noun dabar. Okay? Meh, the place of. Dabar, to speak. The place of speaking. The place of revelation. When we get isolated in the wilderness with God, God speaks to us. It's not that God speaks louder in the wilderness. I mean, I could take a walk. I live along the, the Salt Creek Greenway. And I get out there, I hear God. It's not because he speaks any louder in the forest or in the trees. It's just it's a lot quieter. I can hear his voice better. The place of speaking. Let's see what God says to Moses. Chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. The angel of the Lord appears to Moses. This is known as a theophany. An appearance, a physical manifestation, a visible manifestation, better, of God. 67 times it happens in the Old Testament, and the phrase angel of the Lord is used. Maybe a better translation is the messenger who is Yahweh. This is the or visible manifestation of God himself. God being outside of time and outside of space uses these representations to appear to his creatures. Obviously, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is the ultimate representation of who God is to man. 
kind of a little bit of mystery here. Some scholars believe of these 76 appearances in the Old Testament of the angel of the Lord. These are visible representations of the pre-incarnate Jesus. The eternal son of God before he was born as man, speaking to Moses at this very time. You see, Moses was aware of his surroundings. As a shepherd now, he's walking through the desert with his sheep. He's watching for thieves, which was a common occurrence at the time. He was watching for predators. He's grown acquainted with his environment. He's grown acquainted with the wilderness, and he knows what's normal and he knows what isn't. There's a lesson here in the difficult times of your lives. When you're out in the wilderness, keep your eyes open. For both God and danger. When we're out there and we feel alone and separate and hurting, God is there. And God desires to reveal himself to you. But we need to be watching. God used a regular occurrence, a bush, That burned. Yeah, that's a regular occurrence. In the wilderness, things catching on fire is not that uncommon. It's dry. It's arid. One lightning strike, things catch fire. But this bush was different because it did not burn. When God called, Moses responded. Moses, Moses. He says, here I am. Those words uttered on the lips of Christians have created absolute changes in the world When God calls you, what do you say? God called me a few times. My answer was, why me? We hear that. Or why'd you do this? That's another one. Or I must be going crazy. There's another one. When God called, Moses responded. God was able to speak to Moses because Moses turned aside to see. Moses responded to what was happening in his wilderness. He took a detour When we reject God through our unbelief or disobedience, we prolong our wilderness experiences. Moses could have just kept going. And who knows where we would be today or if God would have used any other means to get him. We're going to learn more about this in a couple of weeks, about what it means to be in a wilderness of our own making, how we get there and how we persist there because of our unbelief and disobedience. How we can truly believe the promises of God to leave the place that God has brought us with a new perspective and a new life. So that's a couple weeks. But God reveals himself to Moses. Moses pays attention, says, here I am. God reveals something to Moses about himself, just like God reveals something about himself to us in our difficult times. First of all, he reveals who he is, himself. I was an atheist before I became a Christian. And when I say the transition happened in a moment of time, it's the truth. I went from being a militant neo-atheist who did not believe one word of what the Bible had to say. More than not believing, I believed that it was nonsense and dangerous. I would make comments to my parents. I would say things like, why did you raise me as a Christian? It's like child abuse. Why would you do that? When I was struggling in my wilderness and didn't understand what it was, I would say things to my family. And my mother would say, all you have to do is keep that prayer wishful thinking. That's all that is. I didn't want to hear it. Wake up in a jail cell and see what that does for your willingness to believe. 
I got there, flickering green light. All I saw was the choices that I made, and I asked myself, how the heck did I get here? And God in his providence allowed it to happen because it was in that moment that I met a man who gave me a book, a simple book. It wasn't even the Bible. The righteous thing would just say, and he handed me a Bible, and I, suddenly everything was different. No, it wasn't a Bible. It was a book on theology by a man named Martin Luther who lived 500 years ago. And I thought, if I can reason Christians out of their faith, I'll be, I'll be good to go. And this book tells me all about what Christians believe. So if I can read this book, understand it well, and use it as ammo, I'll be more effective in my own mission to justify my own atheism. And so I did. I read. And I began to understand that Christianity was not just a set of fairy tales. I mean, I didn't believe it, but it wasn't disconnected stories. There was coherence to the message. It made sense, even if I didn't agree with one word of it. It made sense. What was more important for me is it answered questions that I always had about me. Why can I not stop doing stupid stuff? Literally, my whole life, from the youngest age, my parents, why are you doing stupid stuff? I don't know. I just do stupid stuff. What the book taught me was that I'm broken. That there is a disease in the heart of man called depravity, called sin, that moves us to do horrific things. And the worst part about it, no matter how good we think we are, we all suffer from it. I've grown convinced in this life that anybody at any time, given the proper circumstances, will do anything. Anything. Because the heart of man is sinful. God used my time in the wilderness to reveal himself, his existence, to me. And the process of getting there made me willing. The pain of addiction, the pain of a jail cell, made me hear. He identifies himself to Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And he declares that he is holy. Holy. Holy means to be different and set apart. God is saying, I am holy, which means I am different than you. I am not like man. I am God. When I read this and I try to understand what does it mean when he says, I am holy, you're in a holy place, I think it means we, it lets God be God. God is saying, I am God and you are not. Bottom line. You see, we are not holy in ourselves. We can only derive any semblance of holiness in our own lives by God himself. That which is touched in the Bible again and again is made holy. They would set utensils apart for use in the temple, covering it in the blood of a sacrifice, setting it apart. Christians who are covered in the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus are set apart and declared holy by a holy God. He says to take off his sandals. Have you ever been in a worship service like that or a moment where it's just like, I don't know what I got to do, but all I know is I got to get my shoes off right now. I have. And maybe some of you, because I've seen you bare feet too. There's something about being in the presence of holiness that reminds us of how broken we are, of how sinful we are. You see, God wants to reveal to Moses his brokenness, his true condition. And he does for us as well in our wilderness. 
find it really interesting, though. He says, the, the mountain upon which you stand is holy. You're standing in a holy place, so take your sandals off. I read about that a little bit. On the one hand, it could be someone coming into the tent. Remember, these are like Bedouins at the time. The tent of a superior. It's respect. The chief of the tribe, you would take your sandals off before you would drag sand or whatever into the house. That could very well be the truth. That might be why. But I find it interesting that God is saying, here I am on my holy mountain. I'm a holy God. The place that you stand is holy. Now take off the thing that prevents you from touching it. And he invites Moses to touch his holiness. In the place of his most abject humanity, his dirty feet. (laughs) This is where God meets us. In our sin, in our muck, in our dirty feet. The feet in the scripture are often a symbol of walking our way of life. Moses was a fleer. He fleed. God invites us to remove that which prevents our coming to him, that which prevents us from being holy unto him, separate and set apart for him. But take off that which is preventing you to do that, his shoes. In Isaiah, God touches Isaiah with a coal off of the altar. And Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. He says, but you're healed. God touches him with his holy coal from the altar and declares him whole again. Declares him holy. Same thing here. Moses, take your shoes off. You'll be sent holiness. Okay. Recognizing God's holiness may be the single most important factor or aspect of our religious experience with God. Understanding that God is God is the life's work of the Christian. And everything that that means. You see, God is different. He's not like us. And he's not bound by the same time and space or restrictions or perspectives that we here have as creatures on earth or that we are limited by. So our circumstances look a whole lot different to God than they do to us. Part of our role, part of our responsibility, and part of the purpose of a wilderness experience is to align our understanding of ourselves, of God, and our circumstances with God's perspective on us, him, and our circumstances. What looks impossible for us is possible for God. Learning that God is God, that he is our creator and we are his creatures, aligns our hearts, our minds, our spirits with what we were intended for. It's like God is our true north. It's like our hearts are compasses. When we're aligned to God, everything else makes sense. To live and to walk and to breathe in relation to God first and everything else in life comes out with the right perspective. It says, Moses was afraid to look. Maybe you're afraid to look at God. (laughs) Maybe you're afraid to look at God At the time, looking upon God, the idea of looking upon God brought death. How can I, a shameful, broken human, you don't know what I've done, you don't know the things that I think? Think it's any different for me as a pastor? It's really easy to get up here and feel like an imposter because I put on a show, I say my sermon, I declare God's word to you, I think about how to do it in a crafty, creative way, but on the inside, I'm still Adam. I'm still Adam. 
And when we compare what's going on in our insides with other people's outsides, we'll find all the reason in the world to find distinction and difference. If that's true among humans, how much more is that true between man and God? We come before God, we're afraid to look directly upon him because what that might mean, the shame that we feel from our existence. Okay, third point. God uses our wilderness experiences to give a fresh perspective on our purpose. So not only are we in the wilderness to see what God has to say to us, but we're also in the wilderness to see what God has us to do. A new perspective on our purpose. Verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? (laughs) Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, you'll know that it was me when you come back here and are standing on this mountain with all of the children of Israel. You see, Moses at this point must have been resigned to the fact that his life was to shepherd his father-in-law's sheep on the way out wilderness behind mountain of God. His old life was done. I'm sure he had regrets. And I'm sure that he missed out on some things. I'm sure he looked back and thought, wouldn't have that have been nice? But his purpose was not to shepherd sheep. Certainly not his father-in-law's sheep. His purpose was to shepherd God's sheep. Now consider what God is asking Moses to do. He's saying, go back to those that wish to kill you. He says, go back to your adopted family, those who rejected you. Convince an entire nation who likely holds a tremendous distrust and resentment toward you that God revealed himself to you. And then on top of that, that he wants you to lead more than a million people out of Egypt to a place already occupied by numerous hostile people that also want to kill you. This is like the most momentous mission anyone has ever been asked to do apart from Jesus. God often calls us into the wilderness to new and scary things. And we, like Moses, often say, who am I? I am certain that God is calling each of you to something. I am certain that no matter how well you think you are in line with God's will, there is something else he's calling you to. And that something else can often feel scary or too big or too hard But when Moses says, who am I that I should do this? God does not answer with Moses' qualifications. God does not say, oh, remember, you can speak Egyptian. Don't forget all that education that you had while you were the son of Pharaoh. I don't want you to forget about all of the experience that you've learned here in the desert. And definitely remember that you're also a Hebrew. They're your brothers. They'll pay attention. None of that. 
All God tells Moses is, I will be with you. I will be with you. God's presence with us qualifies us and empowers us to do unimaginable things. There is nothing that God is calling you to do that you cannot do because it is God who moves in you to accomplish his purpose. So the question is, is as you're sitting here, maybe God is talking to you now. I certainly would like to think so. God's spoken to me. As I was preparing today's message, God said, you know what I'm calling you to. There's something more in your life that I want you to do. When I think about it in the flesh, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. It's scary. I got a whole lot of other things going on. This means I'm going to have to do other things in my calendar when I really want to do these things in my calendar. There's implications. And so we find all the reason to say that we can't do it. Yet God is with us. So what's God calling you to do this morning? Do you feel afraid? Are you in a desert where you're, you think you know what God is calling you to do? He's revealed something, but now he's calling you to, and now you actually have to do it? If God is calling you, God is empowering you. The only way, thing you have to do is trust it. Believe him and step out in faith. No, it's impossible to trust God and to look at something else. It's impossible, you know, like think of your eyes. It's impossible to look at two things at the same time. You can't look left and look right at the same time, unless you've had like a stroke or something. Maybe it's possible, you know what I mean? You cannot look left, you cannot look right at the same time. You certainly cannot focus on two objects at the same time because our vision is singular. The same is true for our spiritual eyesight. You can look at your inability, your weakness, your circumstances, your struggles, or you can look to God's ability, God's strength, God's power. When we look at ourselves, we cannot see God. But when we look to God, the thoughts and the feelings, the circumstances, the earthly struggles, they fade away. Keep your eyes on Christ in the wilderness, keep your eyes fixed on God. When he calls you to something hard, keep looking to him. This life is, is marked by keeping our eyes fixed upon the one who saved us. When we look at anything else, we get scared. Things get larger. We spend way too much time in our wilderness trying just to get out and we should focus on what God wants us to do once we are out. Lord, this is a tough time in my life. I'm struggling right now. You know I'm having a hard time, but I'm not always going to be here. So show me what you want me to do when I'm, when I'm gone, when I'm out, when I'm, you know, when I'm out of this wilderness time. So remember, God uses our wilderness experiences to get us alone. He wants to speak to us, and it's only there that we'll listen. He uses those experiences to reveal himself to us in a new way. But we have to pay attention. And finally, God uses our wilderness experiences to give us a fresh perspective on our purpose. God reveals himself to you and God is calling you to do something. Keep your eyes focused on him and he'll give you the power to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this story, this, this truth about how you called your servant Moses and how we are here today because he said yes. Because he said, here am I. Here are we. 
We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through this message, that we would take away one or two things in our hearts, Lord, that you would call us to you, that you would reveal something about yourself to us and that we would have the eyes and willingness to see it. Lord, even though wilderness experiences are hard, even though those times of isolation and spiritual set-apartedness or dryness in our lives, Lord, they're so painful. Lord, help us to trust that you are doing something in us. Grant us the grace to keep our eyes open and fixed on you. And Lord, may you work through us for your purpose and your good. Give us the grace, Lord, to believe everything you say about us no matter how beautiful it is. Lord, we thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Adam here. Well, I want to thank you for tuning in to Grace Bible Church, and I would love to hear what you thought of today's program or of ways that we can be praying for you and with you. So check us out on social media at GBCL. Also, if you would like to support our ministry, you can give securely at our website at www.gbclm.org. Now remember, God loves you, and so do we.